0: The Weekly Hugh Demon, full steam ahead. Seven early symptoms of a mental disease, modernitis. Your reason isn't reasonable. Stuff that in your pipe and smoke it. And smoke it and smoke it and smoke it until you smoke rationality out of your head until a love for the absurd fills your lungs and until you breathe the fresh air of true freedom alright let me explain yeah I made a lot of mistakes over my adult life Ah, when I look back over I often wince at the the unfortunate things I did some to stupid Young adult things like in college, some stupid adult things as a more mature adult. But there's a common theme, I think, in all of them. There is that inner dialogue that began and concluded with, I don't see why. Or it's negative shade. I don't see why not. Uh, I didn't see why or see why not. So I did X, Y, or Z. And X, Y, or Z turned out to be awful for me or others. And I, I give you numerous examples. I mean, I know a young person who young person, I mean, um, in her twenties or thirties, and just made a shocking decision. Uh, she, she's like, "Well, this, I don't see why I can't do this," and it's just it's going to turn out just absolutely awful. But um, I was stunned. Um, but it was her rationality. So I don't see why, you know, this is how I think it should be done and did it in violation of everything her family had instilled in her, her faith, her neighborhood, <laughs> everything. And she, you know, ran contrary to it. And I've, her rationality was fine. The reasons made sense, but it's like it was everything was so wrong. It was like it was right, but it was so wrong. I made a lot of mistakes at like that growing up. Nothing huge, fortunately, at least not that I know of. <laughs> but anyway, most of us carry that assumption you know, that we can do whatever we, whatever we want unless our reason tells us not to. Unfortunately, this tends to be almost identical to an assumption that we can do whatever we want. As Pascal said, as Freud argued, as current studies about cognitive biases show, our minds aren't nearly as reasonable as we think. I heard a guy on, I think EconTalk or Joe Rogan, uh, cognitive, cognitive therapist. He doesn't think we have free will. <laughs> That's how strong he thinks his cognitive biases are. You know, so it's one thing to spend long hours and study contemplation and dialogue with advisors and friends to form your conscience when it comes to a weighty matter. It's another thing to do something merely because your reason doesn't explain why you shouldn't. The former is a sign of wisdom, taking a slow, taking into account all things. The latter is a sign that your mind suffers from modernitis. And yeah, I made that word up. Okay, definition. Modernitis, a mental disease, rarely diagnosed, marked by intuitive confidence in one's ideas and the findings of science. It's rarely diagnosed for the same reason a rational fish wouldn't know it's wet. A mental disease that afflicts everyone becomes a sign of mental health. Descartes was the main philosopher that spread modernitis, as I discussed last week with his dualism. There were other causes and other philosophers contributed, sure, but he was the main culprit. He died in 1650, a celebrity and conqueror. His ideas had spread. His ideas had won. Modernitis had become a sign of mental health. The effects were seen everywhere. I can go through these seven early symptoms of modernitis that we saw almost immediately in Western civilization. The first one, the biggest problem, if you've been reading these essays or listening to these podcasts, is the Tao was dismissed. To a mind afflicted with modernitis, ideas are king, and mathematics the queen. The best ideas are laser sharp and certain, like math, especially math. <laughs> Descartes was first and foremost a mathematician. Ideas, under the that Descartes' system, excuse me, ideas under Descartes give the best knowledge. Other forms of knowledge are second best, if not downright stupid. Now, the Tao stands beyond rational proof. It defies mathematical certainty. Therefore, the Tao is stupid or non-existent. The whole idea of another sphere of knowledge, that is, knowledge of the Tao, that stands beyond rationality was dismissed. As a corollary, by the beginning of the seventeen hundreds, religion among the educated in Europe had sunk to mere deism. If you read about how our founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson were deists, that's what we're talking about. They're just like, yeah, who knows? That's just, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm not an atheist. Those guys are sons of bitches. I, I believe in God, of course. But she just kind of just out there. You know, start everything and that's it. Can't know anything about them. So the Tao, of which a God would be a, I don't want to say a subpart, that'd be a a perversion, but um, the whole sphere of that concept, that thing, whatever that unnamable first principle of Zen is, was completely discarded. Second symptom, poetry became for the flighty, you know, the artsy only. The Cartesian spirit introduced a sharper distinction between prose and poetry. Prose was concrete. It addressed reality in a straightforward manner. Poetry, on the other hand, was seen as fanciful. Because poetry appeals to areas of knowing that aren't dependent on rational thought, it was increasingly seen as pure fancy, something with no connection to reality and no practical application. Prose became the vehicle of thought. Poetry became the vehicle for feeling. Poetry was increasingly dismissed. (laughs) Even scripture, though still revered in the 17th century, was coming under attack because its inspired authors often didn't use straightforward prose. In the words of John Smith, a founder of the Cambridge Platonists, the scriptures were written for the, quote, most idiotical sort of men in the most idiotical way, unquote. Smith, it shouldn't be surprising, was primarily known for his mathematical skills. <laughs> the classics. Now a dustbin. I've mentioned in a previous podcast that the Renaissance was infatuated with antiquity. The Romans, the Greeks, even the Egyptians. The older the source, the more authoritative. The Cartesian spirit helped kill the the idea. The first authority for man was his reason, or his inner tribunal. External authorities were increasingly seen as irrelevant. And the further an authority was removed from one's current mindset, the more irrelevant it became. The Romans, Greeks, and Egyptians were really far removed, and therefore really irrelevant. Related to this, history became largely irrelevant. Rational and intellectual thought in the Cartesian spirit is independent of knowledge. Thought comes first, then knowledge. It is is fundamentally unhistorical. Why do we need history to tell us anything if we can construct the world from our inner certainties? We have inside us knowledge that surpasses history. The study of history... To the mind afflicted with modernitis becomes second-rate, if not downright contemptible, as a waste of time. Progress becomes the aim. During the Renaissance, there developed a fervor to go back further and further into history. During the age of Descartes, the fervor was reversed, and people started looking to the future. We could use our ideas, our dreams, aspirations, plans, schemes, and apply mathematical certainty from our empirical studies to make them a reality. The future was bright, bright indeed. Gotta wear shades type thing. On top of that, the mind afflicted with modernitis is always looking at the ideal. After all, the cognitive principle in us is the first reality, so its ideals become our reality. Well, unfortunately, ideals juxtapose harshly against actual reality. Next to ideals, reality looks shabby, very shabby indeed. There might be original sin, but there are now ideals, and if ideals are the beginning point, the concrete reality forced upon us by the historical happenstance of original sin becomes anachronistic and must be changed. Every mind afflicted with modernitis is a progressive. Now, not all progressives suffer from modernitis. I'll plan on doing a podcast about that later, but I'd, I'd put G.K. Trust in that camp. He is a progressive, but he did not suffer from modernitis. <coughs> but anyway... Um, Not all progressives suffer from modernitis, but every modern is a progressive. Efficiency becomes everything. If we are going to make progress on Earth, we need to be efficient about it. We need to get things done. Earthly activity, fueled by huge successes from the age of global exploration, made the future bright, but we had to apply our ideas and mechanistic abilities to make it happen. Efficiency, practical pursuits became primary, if not exclusive. There's a reason that the rising religious idea of that day, deism, as we discussed, envisioned God as a clockmaker. All right, the last symptom, early symptom of modernitis, is the rise of satire. And this one's kind of fun. Um, I got this idea from this Cambridge Don. I like um, Basil Willey. So, have you heard about the Scriblerus Club? And I might be butchering that. It was an office club founded in London in 1714. It was known for its satiric bent. Jonathan Swift, for instance, was a member. Now, Western culture had long enjoyed satire. But there was a great satiric revival right after Descartes. Satire became huge. Now, can we blame Descartes or thank him? I, re- I really like satire. Does um, will. I think so? He thinks we can lay this big rise in satire on uh, Descartes' door. And the reason is, there's a vast discrepancy between our ideal nature, our ideal nature, which was elevated to reality in Descartes' system, and, I don't know, real reality <laughs> or, or actual reality. And that discrepancy, when you put them together, creates kind of comical results. Here's how Donald, here's how Basil Willie put it, and I'm gonna end this podcast episode with this fairly lengthy quote: the identification of man's nature with the thinking principle within, the feeling that we are that part of us which cogitates must produce the concurrent realization that there is a vast discrepancy between man's ideal and his actual nature. The temper which views all things in their theory rather than in their historical setting must also see little as it gazes upon human institutions but failure and futility, and as it contemplates human actions, little but departures from the rational norm. It is just in the comparison between actual things and their theory that satire consists and the dry light of Cartesianism threw upon the deformities of actual humanity just the kind of illumination which is necessary to, to evoke the satiric comparison. All right, next week we're going to explore ways to overcome modernitis. As always, thanks for listening.